stage with her today, so we're excited. Next song, we're going to hear both of them. Our religion is kindness. You know, it's Dalai Lama says that, right? His religion is kindness. Karen Drecker, of course, wrote that song in our Amber Rocks. It's one of my favorite songs. It just keeps it simple, you know? If we all just practice kindness, we'd be okay. Well, happy Easter. I'm Reverend Debbie McDonald. It's my joy to welcome you here today. Uh, we're really grateful that you chose to be here with us on this Sunday morning. It's Easter morning. There's lots of choices here on the peninsula, and we're glad that you chose to be here with us. I'm going to start out with a little Easter fun. All I need to know about life, I learned from the Easter Bunny. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Everyone needs a friend who is all ears. There's no such thing as too much candy. All work and no play can make you a basket case. A cute little tail attracts a lot of attention. Everyone is entitled to a bad hair day. Some body parts should be floppy. Keep your paws off other people's jelly beans. To show your true colors, you have to come out of your shell. And the best things in life are still sweet and gooey. There you go. So we have been moving along this year with our annual theme, and our theme this year is Awake and Alive, We Thrive. That's our 2019 theme. And for the month of April, we are in uh, the theme of challenge and transformation. And what better day to talk about that than Easter Sunday, right? Challenge and transformation. Today's talk title is called Immortality. Everyone's doing it. Right? And that was written by Dr. Christian Sorensen. He's done the outline for Easter, and many of you know Dr. Christian is my mentor. It's a center that I come from and was raised up in. And uh, so we are doing the theme that everybody's doing, because Easter is Easter no matter what your annual theme is. So here we are. You know, one of the things that I think is interesting for us as religious scientists when it comes to Easter is uh, just what does that mean to us? You know, what does that mean to us? And, you know, today we celebrate the Easter story, which is the story of crucifixion and resurrection, right? There are, but there are more than one of these stories in history. The story of Jesus' death and resurrection is not the only story, right? And that always was fascinating to me when I first learned of that, because I thought, of course, it had to be the only story. Well, not really. There's, a, there's many stories, but one truth. Many stories, but one truth. And when a transcultural story continues to present itself throughout time, there's a message that wants to be known, right? So this story was told throughout history in different ways and different forms with different people. So obviously it has a message for us, right? One of the old ones that we know of is Plato's myth of Ur. It's the end of his book, The Republic, or his essay called, entitled The Republic. And uh, Ur... Ten days after the great battle, it was a mystery to everyone because Ur's body had not started to decompose. And two days later, he rose from the dead. He revived, and he told the story of the experience of the afterlife. So we know that one. You can find similar mythology in Persia's Mithra story and in the Egyptian story of Horus. The concept of coming back to life in spring is as ancient as human storytelling gets. Easter, 
the Saxon goddess of whom Easter is named, later became Ostara, or the star, who was known as a fertility goddess with a passion for new life. Her magical companion, the rabbit, a well-recognized rapid reproducer of life, joined her in bringing new life to dying plants while offering eggs, which are a symbol of fertility. Then there's the story of, let me get this right, Persephone, 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 who's the sweet daughter of the goddess Demeter, who was kidnapped by Hades and later became the queen of the underworld. I think we talked a little bit about her last year. It's actually the way the ancient Greeks told the story of the seasons. Persephone was made to live half of the year in the underworld. And it's told that when she arrives from the underworld is when spring comes and the flowers are in bloom and we see all the glory. And that's the time she returns to this world. So th that's been going on, marking the annual seasons for as long as we can remember, back to Greek mythology. But they all remind us of one thing, and the thing that they remind of us is that we do not die. That we do not die. We do not die to become immortal. We are immortal now. Apparent physical death is not the final for the expansion of our soul. When we leave this physical body, we do not stop. We continue on and on. The doctrine of immortality is ancient. Our contention is not that a dead person lives again, but that a living person never dies. The living person never dies. There's a story of a young boy who was, well, a young man, but as a boy, he was very afraid of uh, night. He was afraid that there were ghosts under his bed and there was afraid of things, you know? And, and as a young man, he went to a psychiatrist and he told him of these fears and he says, I go to bed at night and I'm so afraid of what's under the bed. And the therapist told him, well, come to me for three times a week for a year and I'm sure I will take care of you. Right? And the young man said, well, how much do you charge for a session? And he said, $150. And the young man said, well, well, I'll think about it, right? And he went about his business. And about six months later, the psychologist saw the young man walking down the street. And he said, how come you didn't come to me for those sessions to take care of your fears? And he says, well, a bartender cured me for $10. Right? And the therapist, with a little bit of an attitude, wanted to know how that was possible. And he said, well, I thought about, you know, $450 a week for a year. That was $23,400. Uh, $23, and uh, the bartender, I went to him, and he told me the story. And uh, he said, just cut off the legs of the bed. He said, there's no more ghosts under there now. And with all the money I saved, I bought myself a new truck, right? <laughs> So there's more than one way to look at things. There's more than one way to see things. There are different perspectives and ways of seeing the same situation. It can be wise to get a second opinion. There may be value in looking at things differently. So the way that we've always looked at the Easter story, we might want to look at it in a different way. In a different way. Spiritual exploration is not so much giving one's power away to an actual event that may or may not have happened thousands of years ago, but the personal relevance of its spiritual meaning to us today is what we want to look at. What does it mean to us today? 
tomb time. Tomb time. Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried, as the story goes. On the third day, he rose from the dead. But for two days after he was buried, he remained in the tomb. Many of us have had our own tomb time. Times when part of us were killed by someone saying, we weren't good enough, we weren't pretty enough, we weren't valuable enough or talented enough, and so on and so on, right? Right there, we were crucified. Right in that moment, we were crucified. Sometimes it may feel as if the tomb is not big enough to hold all the parts that have died along the way in this thing called life. The parts of us that have been invalidated, discriminated, humiliated, violated, rejected, misrepresented, betrayed, or otherwise degraded is the crucified self. You know, in God's response, an answer to crucifixion is resurrection. Is the resurrection. The raising of the consciousness. Healing a sense of separation with the realization of love. Sometimes it may take time for wounds to dissipate and the physical to catch up with us. This can be referred to as tomb time. Tomb time, the time we're in the tomb, the time we're healing, the time those wounds are healing. You know, uh, I always heard it said, and this made sense to me, that God didn't open one door without opening another, right? But it was waiting in the hall that got to be the real bitch, right? <laughs> you're waiting in that hall and you're waiting for something to happen. Tomb time. Tomb time, you know, where it seems like maybe God's not there, where it seems like all's lost, where it seems like the wounding overtakes the good in life. Coming back to life happens when we hold on to love despite appearances, when we hold on to the idea of love, no matter what it looks like. The moment will come when it's time to roll away the stone from the tomb and step free, step free what and allow what's wanting to be emerged to be emerged. You know, you may have the same body and the same people in the world, but you are different. You see things different. You understand from a higher perspective. You have stepped from the darkness into the light, bringing the joy of love and understanding into your world. You know, there's nothing that... Well, I, I guess the way to say it is there's always a blessing, you know, which is sometimes hard to see when we're in the midst of it. We're in the midst of the pain, we're in the midst of the wounding, we're in the midst of the thing that doesn't feel good. We don't see that on the other side of it, as we roll away that stone, as we step out of the tomb, that we've stepped out a new person. We've been transformed to something new and different. We're looking at life from a place of higher consciousness, you know. There's always that idea of uh, people come to me and they come to me for counseling and they'll say, Reverend Debbie, I did so much work on this thing, I can't believe I'm doing work on this thing again. You know, and what I like to remind them is that they're going, life is like a spiral, right? That we may be passing through that same circle again, but we're passing through it from a place of higher consciousness, the way we see it is different. Who we are is different. Our knowledge about the thing is different. So why it might feel like, oh, all this work I've gotten nowhere, the truth is is that you're seeing it from a different place. You're seeing it from a higher perspective. So the question is, are you willing to roll the stone away on a position you've held to be true that no longer serves you? 
Is there something you're holding on to? I'm not good enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not well enough. Something that you're holding on to that you're willing to let go of, that you're willing to let that, uh, the stone roll away and you're ready to emerge with a new idea, a different idea. What is the stone that is keeping you locked in? You know, what is the stone? What is the thing? Today is a day to align with the collective energy of the planet in awakening you from your stoned state and push away that which has kept you dead to your greater expression in life. That's Dr. Christian Sorensen. To roll away that which has kept you in that stoned state. Awake and alive, we thrive. Right? Our theme that we're talking about all year long is, am I conscious, My, you know? Amber sang about that. Am I conscious? Am I aware? Am I paying attention? Am I noticing when I, uh, the feeling that hits, that we know there's something in there we got to pay attention to, right? There's a wound that hasn't been healed, the thorns we talked about that we brush up against in each other, right? Ernest Holmes left us a clear understanding of what he believes about immortality in his What We Believe. He says, we believe in the internality, the immortality, and the continuity of the individual soul forever and ever expanding. Forever and ever expanding. So roll away that which has kept you from your greater understanding of the expansiveness of spirit. James von Prague, I don't know if some of you know who he is, but he, you know, talks to people that have passed to the other side. And in his book, The Adventures of the Soul, he tells a story that really is a great analogy for this idea of immortality, for this idea that this body is just a thing that we have temporarily, but that we go on forever and ever. And I'll read you just a tiny bit from the book. He says, the diver doesn't spend his entire time underwater fretting about when his oxygen will run out. Right? He knows that it will happen sooner or later, so he just enjoys marveling at the sights below the surface. He may be having a great time or just come upon an interesting shipwreck, but when the clock goes off, he knows it's time to go up. He knows it's time to go up above. He knows it's time to go to the surface. There are no two ways about it. It certainly doesn't mean that he can't go down again later. It's just part of the experience. When the diver surfaces, he may slap on another tank and go back again, or he may just lay up on the boat and relax, right? So throughout history, we have humans have looked as death as something to fear, when in fact, perhaps this life that we're living here is just our time under the water, right? And all of our oxygen tanks are gonna run out eventually. Right? But we don't go through life waiting and wondering when is it going to be. We can be like the diver and just go through life acknowledging the beauty, the friendships, the love, all that we have in our lives. You know? And some of our friends, tanks are going to run out before ours. And they're going to leave us. And they're going to go back to the surface. Right? And they certainly wouldn't want us to be down here spending the rest of our oxygen, the rest of our time, worrying about that. Worrying about that. You know, the truth is that, that we're all going to end up above the surface together at some point, right? At some point, we're going to all end up together. All of our tanks will run out. We just don't know when. 
We'll miss our friends, but when our time is up, we'll see them topside. The last thing our friends would want for us is to spend the rest of our time mourning their absence. This whole idea of immortality, the soul expanding and going on forever and ever and ever. There's a story of uh, Alan Hefferman. Alan Hefferman is his name, and he had a son named Stephen. And his son Steve uh, committed suicide at age 20. And the family, of course, was devastated. They lost their son. And the week leading up to the memorial service, leading up to the uh, celebration of life, the father, Alan, was grieving. He was in a lot of pain, and he was in a lot of sadness. And one day, he just blurted out, he said, I didn't get to hug him goodbye. Right? They had the memorial, and uh, the next day, the father, Alan, decided to go upstairs to his room and to take a nap, to take a rest. And in the early morning hours, he went down into the dining room and he saw there a form. He saw a form that was raising its arm and he intuitively knew that this form wanted a hug. So he went to the form and he hugged it. And he said he felt the form hug him back. And he felt a sense of joy, euphoria moving through him. And the next thing he knew, he was sitting up in his bed. And he says, now some people tell him that was a dream, but he knows it was his son. He knows he was able to hug his son goodbye. He said he was a believer before that, but he knew from that moment forward that his son was okay, and he was going to be okay. There's another woman, Kathleen Rhodes. Her father had died 20 years previously, and he had died suddenly. Her father was a musician, he was a singer, he was a jovial man. He was always happy. And uh, she was his firstborn, and she, he named her Kathleen. And for almost every event in her life, she says, he sang the song, I'll take you home again, Kathleen. It was sort of her song that he sang to her for everything. Well, this 20 years after her father's passing, one day she was at work, and she worked at a big hotel restaurant, and uh, she was just feeling so much sadness. You know, grief is like that. It just shows up. It just shows up like a wave sometimes out of nowhere. And uh, she was really, really missing her father that particular day. And uh, in fact, she was missing him so much and feeling so melancholy that she was about to tell her coworker that she needed to go home, that she just needed to go home and have a mental health day. When the elevator of the hotel opened and walking towards her was a man who had on a hat and a tie and a suit. Now she says her father always dressed very distinctively and he always wore a hat and a tie and a suit. And this man had about the same stature as her father. And she walked, he walked up to her and he said, is your name Kathleen? And she says, I wasn't wearing my name badge that day. And she said, yes. And he sang to her. He sang the song, I'll take you home again, Kathleen. All the verses, all the way through. Turned around, walked away got back on the elevator and left. Her coworker said, who is that? She says, I have no idea. But she knew it was a message from her father, right? There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories like this if you look for them. There is proof that there's something beyond this plane of existence. There's something that goes on that we can't see that is happening 
right? The immortality of the soul. How many of you have had the experience of feeling the presence of a loved one that's passed, of smelling their perfume, right? Of, of hearing your name called, right? Many of us have had that experience, and you can read about it in book after book after book of people that have experienced some sort of message from a loved one that's no longer in this physical form, that their soul continues on, this whole idea of immortality. Ernest Holmes writes in the Science of Mind textbook, he writes, as the eagle freed from the cage soars to its native heights, so the soul freed from the home of heavy flesh will rise and return unto its father's house, naked and unafraid. Ernest Holmes is the founder of Science of Mind. We are not our bodies, right? They're just these great vehicles that we have to travel through this lifetime in. These, these great body suits that we get to wear this time around. But they're not who we are. You know, all of our consciousness is not crammed into this body. It's so much bigger. It's so much larger. The metaphysical stories that we talked about earlier from the beginning of time are to remind us to give up our fear of death. That we cannot die, right? That's why we call it our transition. You know, we transition to that next phase, that next chapter, that next place, wherever that is. We cannot die, so choose to live fully now. We will always be in the now will be a radiant expression of the divine no matter where we are. Feeling entombed by rough times can happen, but after some tomb time, it's time to come back to life. Cultures from around the world, from time immemorial, have stories of returning to life. This earth plane is just one stopping place in the continuity of the individual soul that is forever and ever expanding. So I invite you to roll back that metaphorical stone away from where you are feeling entombed and rise triumphantly back to life. God bless you. So glad that you're here today. Happy Easter to you all. Glad you're here.